All right, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Hey, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're going to be. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. And so get there, and that way when we get there, you'll already be there. Uh, my name is Brandon, so if you're new with us this morning, I am not Pastor Aaron. I'm not the pastor, so if you don't like this message, hey, come back next week. Or no, he will not. He'll be back next week, but he's not preaching next week. Come back and listen to Pastor Aaron. Uh, but let me say, uh, first of all, I'm one of the pastors on staff with Our Calling, and yesterday... Uh, NCC came out and served the homeless with us. And so I just want to thank you guys so much, those of you who came out. Amen. And I, I just want to encourage you guys that uh, if, you've, if you've never uh, come out and served with us, if, you, if you're interested in serving the homeless, I'd love to talk to you about it. We have volunteer opportunities almost every day of the week. Uh, some, of our, some of our friends here that go to church here, Lauren and Sherry, come and help out with our women's Bible study every Monday morning. And so you can talk to them. To them. Lauren's actually a better recruiter than, than I am. She's so passionate um, about serving those women. Uh, but just want to thank you guys for that. But we're, we are in this series called Jesus Above, where we've been going through the book of Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is really what it's about is it's, it's, a, it's about encouraging Christians, encouraging you and me to continue to hold on to Jesus, to continue to uh, endure in our faith, especially when circumstances get us down. In, in, those, in those times, maybe it's how we're being treated as, as Christians, and we're tempted to kind of shrink back or even turn away from Jesus. And so the author of Hebrews, he writes to in, encourage us to hold on to Jesus and his promises by telling us and reminding us over and over again that Jesus is above everything. In other words, Jesus is so much better than anything else. He really is worth it. Uh, we may go through times of, of temptation where uh, you know, our circumstances tell us that it's really not worth it, that this Christian thing just isn't going to pan out. But Hebrews tells us over and over again that Jesus really is worth it. And so we should hold on to him. Uh, last week, Pastor Aaron, for example, talked about how Jesus is above our sin. And we need that reminder because uh, there's times when we minimize our sin. And we need to know that Jesus is above that and we have to take it seriously. But at the same time, we can also walk in guilt and condemnation. And we need to know that, hey, Jesus is above our sin. We don't have to walk in guilt and con condemnation because Jesus has overcome our sin through his death on the cross. So we're just going to continue this morning and we're going to see that Jesus is above something else. And so this is what Jesus is above. Jesus is above our dreams. Jesus is above dreams. Now, I don't mean necessarily the dreams that that you had last night when you were asleep. But what I'm talking about is the, the dreams, the plans, the goals that, that we have for ourselves. Uh, the, the goals and the plans, the agendas that we come up with, maybe it's, maybe it's a goal that the world comes up with for us. Maybe it's, it's, it's a plan, it's a goal, it's a dream that, that other people have, um, have, have sort of put on us. And, and we're, we're just kind of living with that. 
And so what we are going to see is that Jesus is actually above that, which really does create this tension when you think about it. It sounds, it sounds cool to say that Jesus is above our dreams, but, but you know, we're called to dream big, aren't we? We're, we're called to pursue our dreams. One of uh, the, our, as a family, the Wallace family, one of our, our favorite shows to watch is America's Got Talent. Has anybody ever, ever watched that? Yeah, okay, several of you in there. And so the whole goal of the show, the whole point is that you have these people who have these talents. Some of them can sing. Some of them have these really wacky, you know, talents if you've ever seen the show. And they are pursuing their dream. They are through this show and through this competition, you know, trying to make it to the next level, trying to accomplish their dream. And so there, there kind of really is this tension, isn't there? Because we're told that Jesus is above our dreams, but we like our dreams, don't we? we you know, our, our dreams and our goals motivate us. In fact, we would even say that humanity has accomplished a lot of great things because there was this man or this woman one time who had this crazy idea, had this dream, and because they pursued it, now we have electricity, you know, or, or now we have a, a cure for some disease that we didn't have because somebody pursued this dream. But Hebrews tells us that living like Jesus is above our dreams is what faith is all about. And he does that by really telling us what faith does, what faith is and what it does. So I just want to go ahead and jump right in. Again, it's Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse 1, where the author begins really unpacking what faith does. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, I'm using the New Living Translation, and I like how it says it. It says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. And it gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So, right off the bat, we have this kind of this working definition of faith. It's kind of this coffee cup kind of definition that you, would, you maybe have on a coffee cup, real, real short and sweet. But there's a couple of things that it tells us about faith. And one thing is that faith is not wishful thinking, the way sometimes people use faith. You know, where faith is kind of focused on, on faith itself, where it's just sort of this strong opinion that someone has. You, you know, it may or may not be true, but hey, the only important thing is that they have faith, right? And so it's not wishful thinking. Faith in, according uh, to the Bible, is, is this assurance this assurance in God's promises. And we're, we're sure about these things. We're confident because God is the one who has promised them. So we're not trying to, uh, you know, have faith to make something a reality. We're believing in a reality that God has already designed and promised. But there's another aspect of faith that we see, and it's maybe one that we don't like as much, and it's this idea that we believe these promises that are not seen. In other words, there, there's, a, there's a future orientation to faith. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't bless us in the here and now. It doesn't mean that we don't experience uh, promises in the here and now. But when we're talking about the big promises, when we're talking about uh, 
you know, what God really has for us. It, it's this future orientation that we, that we just can't see right now. We, we don't experience it. Now, this doesn't mean that, that faith is illogical because sometimes people think that, right? They think, well, if I can't see it, that means it's illogical. It means that there's no evidence for it. And so, you know, therefore, that's what it means to have faith, right? If there's, if, if there's all this doubt and, you know, and no evidence, then that's what faith means. But he never says that. He never says there's no proof for it. He, he never says that it's not believable. He just says that it's, it's in the future. It, it's something that we don't have right now in the present and you know it's, it's kind of crazy I always think about how I'm from Oklahoma and you know Tornado Alley and I remember as a kid my family going crazy my mom you know going berserk because we were trying to get to the cellar like three or four times you know a season because there was a tornado warning or one was already spotted somewhere and, and, and that was just kind of the, the way I grew up. But the amazing thing is that in, in all these years, I've never seen a tornado with, with my own eyes. Now, I've seen evidence of it. You know, I, I know they exist. I know I've probably been really close to one, but I've never seen one. But that doesn't mean that it's, that it's not true. And, and, you know, we get this. There's, there's things that you have never experienced that hundreds of thousands of people have seen and experienced. But just because you haven't seen it in your own experience doesn't mean that it's not true. And so it is with, with faith and this promise that God has made. We, we may not see it in our present circumstance. We haven't experienced it, but, but it is out there and it will come to pass. So... Sort of with this working definition of faith, it's this idea that faith is the assurance in these future promises of God. One preacher said it this way. I really like this definition of faith. He says that faith is the ability to see what others can't see because you're, you're looking to this future promise of God. It's, it's the ability to see what others can't see that enables you to do what others can't do. In other words, faith, as you, as you look forward, as you lay hold of this promise that God has made, it enables you to do things. It enables you to obey. It, faith actually moves. And that's exactly what the author shows us over and over again in Hebrews 11. If you're familiar with it, there's all of these examples of men and women in the Old Testament who did these amazing things for God because they believed in this future promise. That's why Hebrews 11 is often called the great faith chapter or the great hall of faith because of all of these, uh, these amazing examples. Um, you know, we could spend, do a whole series just on these examples of faith, but just think about a couple of them. If you jump down to verse 8, he uh, begins uh, by talking about Abraham. Abraham's faith. He says it was by faith. So Abraham has this faith in this promise that God has made. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. And he went without knowing where he was going. Now, without getting into all the details of, you know, the story of Abraham and the promises that God Made. We know that Abraham was this guy, this pagan guy who uh, didn't know God. 
you know, he worshipped all these false gods, didn't have any revelation of God. Uh, he was, was a wealthy guy. He had everything made where he was at. But then all of a sudden, the God of Israel shows up and says, hey, Abraham, I've got some promises for you, but they're somewhere else and they're somewhere down the road. But you're going to have to trust me. You're just going to have to pack up everything. Your family's going to think you're crazy and you're going you're to go to this other land. And I'll tell you when we get there, you don't know where you're going. And Abraham didn't. And so this is what Abraham does. He, he obeys God. He, he lays hold of this future promise. And he you know, makes this amazing sacrifice. And there's all kinds of other things, of course, that happened to Abraham. The author actually talks about this example of, uh, of Sarah, Abraham's wife, how when you know, her, and, her and Abraham were both really old, you know, pushing 100 kind of old, God made this promise that they were going to have this child. One of the main promises that God made to Abraham. And you know, they did all these stupid things at first because they didn't really believe it, but then the text says that, that Sarah conceived because she believed this promise that God had made to them. And there's all these other, you know, great examples. Again, I wish we had time to go through them where he talks about by faith, you know, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the, the Israelites, they crossed the Red Sea. By the way, we can read these examples of faith and we can just really adore them. You know, we can just go, wow, that's amazing. But he doesn't give us these so that we can adore them, but so that we can apply them. Because the author of Hebrews, he's so, he's so passionate about faith. He's so, he so believes that, that this is the normal Christian life, that he gives these examples. And I really like what he does towards the end of the chapter. If you want to jump down to verse 32, where he kind of goes on this roll after he gives all these specific examples. And he says, how much more do I need to say? I would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, uh, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. And their weakness was turned to strength. And when we hear that, we go, amen. That's the kind of faith that I want to have. That's the kind of things that I want to accomplish for God. But he keeps going. And then he says that even though these people did this by faith, there were other people that had faith in God's promises. And this is what they did by faith. Verse 36, some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning, some were sawed in half, and others were killed by the sword. Now, we don't like that as much. But the amazing thing is that the, the promises of God were, were, are so real, so much better, that, that even these, these people, by faith, they, they endured suffering and even death. They patiently endured it. So faith, it moves, it, it acts in different ways, but, but there really is a, a kind of a common denominator of all of these examples of faith. 
So if, if you and I exercise faith, there's going to be this, even though it's going to look differently, there's really this, this common denominator. There's something that faith does when we exercise faith. And so just taking it back to uh, our series, this is what faith does. Faith refuses to rest in dreams. Faith refuses to rest in dreams as much as we want to. And this is where the punchline comes in. In verse 13, he says, All these people, so all these examples of faith that we read about in Hebrews 11, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. See what he's saying? He's saying that, that faith, these people, it, they, they did not rest in this world. They, they did not rest in, in their dreams. They didn't rest in the plans that they could come up with. But their rest was in this future promise that God had for them. Faith doesn't, it doesn't expect reward in this life. Now, it's not that we don't receive things again in, in this life, but, but it, doesn't, it doesn't expect for, you know, these, these, these plans and these, these things of the world to provide security and comfort and fulfillment and satisfaction, all the things that, that we long for. He says that faith, if you're walking by faith, it's like you need to view this life as if you are a foreigner or an alien. He says a nomad. We might even, easier for us to think of an immigrant, right? Where you're, when you're in a country that is not your own, uh, you just can't expect the benefits. You don't expect, you can function, but you, but you just don't expect the full reward because there's, there's another place, there's another time. There's, a, there's another homeland that you're looking for. I mean, let's face it, it's just not natural, is it? It's, it's not natural. I mean, no one has to teach us. Think about this. No one has to teach us to sink our roots down deep in this life. Uh. How many of you moved several times, like moved houses, you know, especially maybe travel? I, we've moved, I think, three times. I figured it out in between services. And nobody likes moving, right? It's a, it's a pain. Even if you're excited about where you're moving to and you make all these sacrifices, nobody likes the process of moving because you just don't, you know, you just don't like this feeling of, of, of unsettlement, right? When you, when you move to a, a new house and you finally, you know, move everything in, the common question that everybody asks you for like the next three months is, well, are you settled in yet? And you're like, no, I, you know, I'm, my, my life is still chaos because I'm living out of boxes, right? I, I want to be settled. Even, you know, when you go on vacation, you know, sometimes you, you come back from vacation and you just want to be back home. Vacation was great. But, but home sweet home, right? It's kind of that vacation, you know, from your vacation. 
We just, we just naturally expect uh, reward in this life. We, we look to our, our plans and our agendas and our goals and, and all of these things for security and comfort. Now, I'm not saying, you know, don't make your home homey and don't try to, uh, you know, don't set goals. But the point is that it's so counterintuitive to not expect reward in this life, but to expect it really in the future and to, and to rest in the future. It's natural for us, if I could say it like this, it's natural for us to put our dreams above Jesus. It's, it's, it's natural for us to really rest in our dreams. But the text tells us that we just can't. We, we can't rest in our dreams because Jesus is above our dreams. He is so much better than anything that we can rest in in this life. Isn't that what he says in, uh, in verse 16? After he talks about all these people who viewed, li- viewed their lives as like living like nomads, he says, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. Now, he doesn't mention the name of Jesus, but, but trust me, because of the fact that Jesus is all throughout Hebrews, the reason why the country is better, the reason why it's a heavenly homeland is because Jesus is there. It's, it's not because Jesus you know, or, and God has you know, created this blessing that's separate from Him. The reason why it's better is because He is there and all of the promises that are in Him. Now, kind of the practical question as I was thinking through this, because I think we get it right. We can say, okay, we understand Jesus is above our dreams. There's this future uh, promise. It's, it's better. But, but how do I know? How do I really know when I'm not resting in my dreams? How do I, how do I know when I'm not putting too much stock in the here and now? You know, how, do I, how can I know when I reach that, that point, you know, when I'm, I'm allowing my dreams to kind of come above Jesus and I'm not resting in Him? And the answer to that question is, I don't know. Now, I'm sorry, it may not be the answer you were looking for, but the fact is we've all got different circumstances and there's different phases of life and you kind of have to figure that out out on your own. There's not really one answer to that. And Hebrews 11 doesn't really give us an answer. But there is a question that I think that we can ask ourselves that maybe helps us to evaluate where we're at. And you can ask this question right now and you can ask it at you know, different points in your life. And it's real simple. What frustrates you? Right? What frustrates you? A good definition of frustration is unmet expectations. Right? When you, you have this expectation, it might be a realistic expectation, it might be unrealistic, but nevertheless, when it goes unfulfilled and unmet, frustration kicks in. It's just the natural human response. And so I ask myself if my expectation as a Christian is supposed to be rooted in the future. If I am to expect that really my security and my satisfaction is, is in the promises of God and, and not in the here and now, not in what I can come, 
can come up with, not in what you know, the world comes up with for me, then in those times of where I'm really frustrated, and I'm not talking about just any frustration, but you know what I mean, where, where frustration controls you, where it overwhelms you, where it you know, kind of controls your life, it's in those times that we should ask, am I expecting too much out of my plans? Am I expecting for my plans and my agenda to really provide me security, the kind of security that only God can, can provide? Now, that you can apply that to a lot of different things, but, but here's maybe just kind of a big one that we can all think about to help us apply it. Take politics, for example. Right? I'm going to do the one thing preachers aren't supposed to do, which is talk about politics. Not really. Not going to get into, into it, but politics is, and, and government is something that it's just part of life. But regardless of, you know, what party you're in or, or, or what issue, you know, which side you take or what's going on, regardless of whether who's right or who's wrong, if you've got a person who is so frustrated about something political, you know, where it just controls their life, where that's all they can talk about. You know, if you find yourself at a point where you've got to go on Facebook and you've got to make 10 posts a day about, you know, whatever, just to get it off your chest so that you can function. I'm, I'm just saying, it, it could be that, that at least in that, in that moment of your life that, that, you know, kind of on this security scale, that the, the political thing or, or whatever it is is right here and Jesus is maybe right here. He may be waiting. Now, he might be, he might be re really high up here because none of us is going to say, well, we don't, you know, we're, we're, we're against future reward. But the idea is that sometimes we can just rest and get so fixated on our dreams and our agenda. Now, I know it's, a, it's kind of a tough question to ask, right? It really, because it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard to not rest in your dreams. It, it's, it's, it's hard in, in this world that we live in, the microwave society, where we're just so used to getting, getting everything right now. I mean, eat, you know, I see it even in my boys. Uh, sometimes when we go to a restaurant, Right? Just not a fancy restaurant, but any restaurant. The first thing that they ask is, is this fast food or is this, one, you know, is this you know, a place where we've got to wait you know, eight to ten minutes for the food? Because they just, for them, it doesn't matter. You know, quality doesn't matter. They want it right then. So it's, it's hard to, to just not rest in our dreams. It's hard not to sink our roots down deep in this life. It's hard because... You know, we're, we're just always bombarded by the newest thing. The newest thing is going to come out, and it's going to make whatever we have better. We get, you know, updates on our phone. And, you know, you click on it, and the software updates, and we're, we're just, it just kind of wires us to, to believe that, hey, if something isn't working, if something isn't, isn't right, then, hey, there's an update coming, and all I need to do is, punt, you know, push the button. It's, it's hard to, to not rest in our dreams when... You know, just with technology, not only are we looking at our problems and what we have to deal with, but 
something totally different that people a couple of hundred years ago didn't have to deal with, which was the world's problems. We're, we're, we're just bombarded by all of the problems of the world, and we so want a solution to certain things. And that's a good thing. You know, we, we, we hope and we pray that there's going to be some new law or there's going to be, you know, some new invention that's going to make things better. We hope and pray that there's going to be this, this new medicine that's going to come out that's going to cure some kind of disease. We, we just really hope and pray for those things. But faith says, at the end of the day, I'm not going to rest in that. I'm not going to put all of my stock in that because my hope is in what God has promised in the future. But there are benefits. I mean, there, there, there really are benefits in the here and now. Just imagine how, how much less stressed you would be. How much less frustrated you would be. How much less fearful you would be if, if you really rested in Jesus and the future promises and didn't rest and put all of your stock in your dreams and in your plans and, and in the promises of the world. I mean, just imagine uh, what it would be like to actually have a goal, ha have, a, have a, you know, a, a really great goal that you could pursue with all of your heart, but you, but you do so in a way with kind of an, an open hand. Where if it, if it doesn't happen, if it doesn't come to pass, you're, you're not going to fall apart. You can pursue this goal without fear because you're not ultimately resting in that goal. You see, faith in the future actually empowers us to do things in the here and now. To actually probably be more productive than those who focus on and rest in the dreams of this world. So there's benefits, but the greatest benefit is found at the end of verse 16. The greatest benefit for the one who trusts in God and doesn't rest in dreams, but rests in the future promises is this. Notice how he says it. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. In other words, God looks down on the person who doesn't rest in dreams, but rests in him, and he says, I am proud to be your God. For those of us who are parents, we know that we love to you know, give our kids things, and we love to you know, help them to grow and help them to mature and, and all of that. But when I think about my boys, when I... When I think about my children, the one thing that I, I want them to, to take away is not so much that dad gave me this or dad got me this, but, but they, would, they would know that I am glad to be their dad. That, that they can walk away with confidence that I'm proud of them, that, that I am not ashamed to be called their dad. And isn't that what, we're, what we really all want? We really want approval from those who, who love us or, and, and, and take care of us. I mean, that's what really satisfies, if you think about it. So how much more satisfying will it be 
to hear God say, I'm proud to be called your God. I'm not ashamed to be called your God. You know, the amazing thing that's really kind of ironic when we think about how Jesus is above our dreams is the fact that Jesus never pursued any earthly dreams. In fact, he had everything. He had, he had this heavenly position. Right? But the Bible tells us that in, actually, if you go to the book of Philippians, it tells us that, that Jesus emptied himself. He humbled himself. And he left the glories of heaven to become a man. Now that was a sacrifice in itself. But not only did he become a man, but he made the ultimate sacrifice by dying on the cross for you and for me. So that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could have life, so that we wouldn't have to rest in our dreams, so that we wouldn't have to look at everything that we're, we're trying to put together and, and everything the world offers, so that we wouldn't have to rest in that and, and bank on that, but so that we could actually have a future hope that is so much better than anything else that we can come up with on our own.